everyone. Welcome back to the Blessed Child Podcast. This is your host, Renee. This is going to be the third and final segment of Storytime with Ami. And in this part of the interview, I uh, we really dig into mobile fundraising team and what that really is. You see, growing up as a second-gen Mooney, I idolized the mobile fundraising condition that we were groomed to do, which is essentially it's labor trafficking for one to three to seven years of your life. Um, I was told mobile fundraising team um, was like laying down a spiritual condition for you to become a perfect human being or just a, a test of faith for you to really show that you're dedicated to living for the sake of others and to extending the providence of the Unification Church. So basically what that means is that you live in a van, you're labor trafficked, you are exploited, you fundraise product, whatever it is from chocolates to sun catchers to laser prints, you fundraise product um, for up to 18 hours a day, literally, I had people doing no sleeping conditions where they would just fundraise for days and days. Um, you also, yeah, m- part of the goal was that you have to make a certain amount of money. So people were making 200 to thousands of dollars a day. So this is the mobile fundraising condition that young moonies are groomed to do. It's a labor trafficking program that young moonies are conditioned to do. And it's under the guise of spiritual growth and leadership training programs, but really it's just labor trafficking. And when I was a kid, I, you know, heard stories of the first gen doing their MFT days, mobile fundraising is short for MFT. Uh, MFT is short for mobile fundraising team. And there was this valor about it or the novelty about hearing our parents' stories about how they found God or had spiritual experiences by being pushed to their physical and mental limits. And so there was a certain novelty that I chased going onto these programs thinking that I was going to live up to these expectations our parents had because this is multi-generational grooming of labor trafficking. Um, and they were saying, you know, after so many extreme conditions, they found God or they found your parents or they found, yeah, the heart of what they were chasing. And they were thoroughly indoctrinated this is an it's more than just labor trafficking it's a huge indoctrination process it's extreme and now looking back we were chasing yeah delusional episodes really Uh, we would push ourselves to the limit we would sleep outside for a year straight no bathing no showering You'd be lucky if you could brush your teeth at night. You'd wake up early in the morning to do hundake and chanting and ritualistic whatever to get into the mindset of fundraising and being labor trafficked all day and making money that you would just give. Like I, I, thousands of dollars passed through my fingertips and I would just give it away to the church, um, put it in a bank account. I think I had like, there was a rule after you reach three to $5,000 in the van, you would always deposit it to the church leader's bank account. And you never even knew who this guy was. You just deposit it. Um, everything was encrypted. The emails were encrypted. Everything was, it was looking back, it was like a, a serious operation of money laundering and um, exploitation. Some of, of the kids were minors. They were 17 years old on these programs, so child labor. Um, 
and seriously dangerous conditions. We'd be fundraising in bars at two o'clock in the morning. We'd be going into apartment complexes. We would be going into office buildings. And um, we live in a van. So yeah, people were being exploited, not only by labor, but also physical. The <sighs> people were being raped. People were being cornered in offices. People were being molested. Everything for a buck. And we were so delusional that we were thinking, like, okay, this is God's way. This is my challenge. This is my course. Like, I have to somehow defeat whatever Satan this is and win it for victory for God and true parents. So these kids are put in really unsafe conditions, and they think it's their duty to somehow gain victory through these terrible situations um so so yeah so we're going to talk about mft in the beginning years because i thought it was better when i was a young moonie i thought that the beginning years were were better but in listening to the stories that ami's going to tell us you find out that it it was always bad there was always kidnapping happening there was always rape happening there was oh it was always dangerous it was always kids in a dangerous or young adults in a dangerous situation being exploited for the moon family's wealth and that is all it is all the other psychological mumbo jumbo is just the layering on top of the foundation of labor trafficking so this is a pretty interesting episode for me because as I was growing up, I had a different viewpoint of what MFT was. And because you probably won't hear it anywhere else, I'm going to tell you, uh, the listener who maybe doesn't have any experience with the Unification Church, these mobile fundraising team programs where people live in vans with up to six to eight people on a team in a van, they're called many different things. And they're essentially the leadership training program that every young Mooney is expected to go to after high school or even while they're in high school. So some of those programs, they're called different things because in true labor trafficking fashion, you have to change up the name or else you're going to get caught, right? So it was MFT in the beginning years, and then it changed to STF, which is Special Task Force Training. And then it changed to like GPA, which is Generation Peace Academy. And then it changed to Oh, no, no. It was NGA first, Next Gen Academy. That changed to GPA, Generation Peace Academy. Then you've got overseas where they called it ETF. ETF stands for European Task Force. Then there's one in Brazil, South America. I'm not sure what it's called. Then you also have DONE, which I still don't know what it stands for, but it's done, which I think is hilarious because you should be fucking done with the Moonies after that fucking program. Um, in In... Africa, I'm not sure what it's called. In uh, Japan and Korea, I'm not sure what it's called. But it's all essentially mobile fundraising programs. Uh, And then there is also OLT, which is Oceana Leadership Training Program, which is essentially living in a van and fundraising for a year, which I did. That's in Australia. Um, And then there... Yep, okay. That's about all I'm going to go through right now. But as you can see, the pattern is that... Whenever too many people die or get raped or something terrible happens where leadership has to take accountability, which is the church, has to take accountability for the fact that they're labor trafficking young adults, they'll change their name. And just to put some equations in your head, 
the average person's making about a hundred to two hundred dollars a day. Some people were making thousands. So every single day that you're alive on this planet, the Unification Church has hundreds of people pulling in thousands of dollars a day. Every single day. If you did the math, there's like a hundred people on um, GPA right now in the United States on like boots on the ground right now, over a hundred people making an average of like 200 to a thousand dollars a day. That's how much money is going straight into the unification church pocket. Um, you, do you want me to do the math? I'll, I'll do the math just cause I'm curious. Let's say, um, a hundred people make $200 a day every single day. And just in the United States, that's $20,000 a day. Take out product costs and the bare minimum of living because I believe they were given like $3 a day to eat um, per person. You still have a ridiculous amount of money going into the UC's pockets every single day from the United States alone. So let's just average out, let's say the United States 20 grand, Japan's probably 20 grand, Korea's probably like 10, then you got Africa, you got the um, Europe. There's so many different countries that are constantly fundraising for the Unification Church, boots on the ground, throughout the year, all, all day, every day. It's a lot of fucking money. Anyway, so we're talking about this this program in the Unification Church, why the core of the Unification Church is essentially just a huge money laundering, labor trafficking, exploitive organization, and is a criminal organization. But talking to my stepmom and hearing her stories, I was like, holy shit, the delusion really shattered that it was never a good thing. It was never for spiritual growth. It was never for your personal character development. It was always for the bottom line, which is cold, hard cash. And the Unification Church definitely, without a doubt, has so much blood on their hands. This program needs to be shut the fuck down. This culture needs to be shut down. So that's what we're talking about today. Trigger warning for people out there that have gone through this program. You might get some flashbacks here. Um, so just proceed with caution. This is on me telling her story. And I think it's a pretty good insight into what's really going on. Now, the other thing is I, you know, if you, if, while editing this interview, if there's a leader's name that's dropped, that's free game. If you're a leader, you're in the history books, you're going on the fucking podcast. But if you're like a child of a leader or a second gen who was just kind of victim of the whole system, I'm going to beep that name out because that's my moral code. And so there it is. Every once in a while in this episode, you'll hear a Just know that I'm doing my best to get the stories out there while minimizing the damage to the people who have survived this cultic abuse. So if you haven't listened to the first previous episodes, go back and listen. It starts two episodes back with Storytime with Ami. Also, I want to shout out to my sponsors and supporters. Y'all are a huge reason why I get back on here and I publish these episodes Thank you so much. If you want to go to my Patreon, you can go join that uh, link in the show notes. And um, I'm going to be 
creating time to respond to people's messages. Um, so if you want to send some comments or feedback, or if you want to share part of your story, you can always send me some message and I'll, I'll start reading them out on this podcast. I know I've gotten so many over the past couple years and my life has just been so crazy, but I'm finally maturing into a space where I feel like everything's calmed down a bit and I can kind of give more energy into, yeah, reading your comments and feedback on this podcast. So, um, oh, and also if you are going to send some comments or feedback, please disclose that you want this read on the podcast because I've had a lot of people telling me their story and they're like, P.S. don't say anything, P.S. keep this on the DL, um, because a lot of people are in unsafe situations if their story had gotten out, because again, this is a criminal organization we're talking about, the Unification Church is not a benign organization, they literally are dangerous. And what I mean by dangerous is a lot of people that I've talked to have gag orders, NDAs, they literally cannot talk. They've been silenced by the law or threat of lawsuits. Um, The Unification Church does have a lot of fucking money to pay a lot of fucking lawyers. And a lot of it is just threatening and it's a tactic used. They can't really back it up. But the fact is that the church has threatened a lot of people. So I won't read your comments or your stories unless you tell me that I can do so and I can keep it anonymous or you can drop a voicemail to actually anchor itself and you your voice can be heard on the platform um there is an option to do so on anchor you can you can um yeah you can like ring it in it's pretty cool Oh, and one more thing. Not only do they just threaten with the law, they also threaten with their life. I've had people say, you know, they'd be shunned, excommunicated, everything would be taken away. Their Maslow's hierarchy of needs basically depends on their silence and cooperating with the church. So this is not, yeah, very lighthearted. This is some serious stuff. Just wanted to put that out there too. People's lives are in danger if they speak. Oh yeah, and shout out to all the abusive parents out there. Apparently that's a fucking pattern too. A lot of first gen beat their children if they say anything about the Unification Church. So shout out to you guys that are surviving that kind of abuse. I fucking see you. And the people who can talk, we will talk. So I think the more people that talk, the better. And um, I just want to put that out there. That's that's all I want to say before we go into the third segment of Storytime with Ami. Here we go. I wanted to ask you about, you know, you were a nurse, graduated, you were on MFT. You saw these nurseries pop up in the 1970s. Uh-huh. What was that like? Well, you know, I personally didn't get, I knew about them, but I personally didn't get involved until I went to work in the insurance uh, in New Yorker. And um, Mr. Swamakai had his, and um, he was uh, 15 months old or something like that. And his mother, Mr. Swamakai's wife, she was sent on a mission somewhere. And so she he was in the Jacob house. And um, he had a febrile seizure. And if you don't know about febrile seizures, which... A lot of even nurses don't know about it unless they work pediatrics. 
Um, it's a scary, scary thing to see, which it's not that serious, actually, but it's a very, very serious, a very scary thing to go through. So uh, he took me off the office and he, he, want, he had me stay with home, his home and take care of him. So while well, I was still in the hospital, I was there with him there. And then I went home with him. And so he wasn't in Jake Palace or whatever. He you know, I took care of him at his house. And um, but when it was time for him to go back to Jacob House when he was bad or and they decided to, you know, my mission was no more. Then I saw about Jacob House and, you know, it kind of introduced him back into the house and everything. And I saw it. I, I don't know. I, I didn't. It, I never liked that whole separating the mother from the kids stuff. I never liked that. Hey guys, some people that are new to this podcast might be scratching their head thinking, what the hell is a Jacob house? Why are all these kids abandoned? What is this orphanage system that we're talking about? And how is it connected to mobile fundraising? So Moon paired everybody up in the 70s, had them get matched and blessed, and then there was an order to have children. It was like multiply and have dominion. Um, But then it's like, what do we do with all these kids? So the commune solution, the cult solution was let's make an orphanage to drop these kids off so that these kids will grow up away from their adult parents and um, that'll be an easy fix. So all these parents dropped off their kids at this orphanage and they would go back out and fundraise for Moon and make tons of money or whatever he needed. So that is what we're talking about. It is an integral part of the abusive situation and the abusive culture that is the Unification Church from the very beginning. Kids and families were, yeah, destroyed, neglected. And this is just an inside look at how those orphanages of those orphanages were set up and what they looked like there was kids getting sick there was 30 to 40 of them with caretakers that can't speak english in these homes i mean can you just imagine when a virus would sweep through the orphanage like what happened to these kids well this is the story of one of the nurses that was on mft being pulled into this orphanage to take care of a commander's child and this kid got special special privileges because he was a commander's child now think about all the other kids just for a second what do you think really happened in those orphanages i don't know if we'll ever find out but this is just a glimpse into the 1970s here we go let's go back in can you recall the facility where it was it was a big house and it was in uh near it was near belvedere Okay, and it was called Jacob House. They called, they named it Jacob House, yeah. Um, you know, it was in Terrytown, and um, and it was in a really. I mean, now it'd be like choice, you yeah. know, property. You know, yeah, nice. <laughs> in a big house, and um, I'm sure they sold it and made money off of it, but um, but at the time there were kids all over the place, and. Um, and there were a fair amount of church sisters that were taking care of them, but it was still like having kindergarten or something or daycare 24 hours a day, you know? So it'd be like leaving, you know, somebody would be there for a year and a half, two years or something. And they were just born, newborn babies. Some some were young. I don't know about newborns, but I saw them infants and cribs. I saw cribs. And how many would you say there were? 
well, 30, 40. 30 or 40 kids. In yeah. one but it's just a huge house. Yeah. How many caretakers do you remember? I don't remember. I, I wasn't paying a whole lot of attention to that particular point, as I would now. Right. Were you concerned about their health after having people see Yeah, I was very concerned about it. So that, that was one of the reasons why I wasn't so liking this environment so much. That, that's something they... I mean, somebody did, but it's not. It would easily have gone unnoticed. A febrile seizure. I mean, thirty or forty kids all get sick at the same time. That's the nature of the virus. I mean, they they could have all been. Yeah. Yeah, but it wasn't. It was a febrile seizure. It wasn't necessarily started by a virus. You don't know what it was. No. What kind of what other symptoms did he have? None. That's the thing. Was this a seizure? You didn't get called in for any of these other kids. No, no, no. They didn't use me as a nurse. He just got called in for this one. Kid. Because of Mr. Slomakai. Because he was a commander? Yeah, because he knew me, knew I had that background, mm -hmm. and uh, was on his MFT team for a long time, and I was working in his office. And he had me work in his home, which was fun, actually. I enjoyed that time with him. He was such a cute kid. You really love kids. You really love kids. Um... About the facility, I remember you told me the cribs were upside down like cages. I saw that at the hospital I worked at. Yeah, they probably did have those. They're called toddler cribs. Oh, okay. Um, so the kids they, can get out. They, so the kids can't get out. You have to flip the crib over and then the kids... No, no, no. It's not that they flip the crib. It's made in a ca like a cage. Oh. It's, um, on, you know, you can roll it from one place to another. Oh. And um, they have them in the hospitals, too, for, to for kids that... Could easily climb out. Right, right, right. You have to have the cribs. How many kids were like? Do you remember in the Jacob House? Like, how many kids were just in a room in their? Cribs? Well, I, you know, I saw them in the daytime. I didn't see them at a time when they were all together. But I, they're probably about eight to ten. Okay. Yeah, that were sleeping in the same room. That must have been miserable for the caretakers. Well, it depends upon how their attitude was about it. I would have loved working. You can. I would have loved. Would have loved. To work at Jacob House, I would have loved that. I, better than working for insurance, you know. That was not my nature. So they just put you wherever they. Yeah, you yeah, know, I was choice. on MFT. I was part of MFT. All those women were either Japanese sisters. They, the Americans were out on MFT, so there wasn't many Americans in that setting. There was either European sisters that weren't doing well with the language and stuff to be out of MFT. They were the Jacob House, so there was a lot. Of, there were European sisters and uh, Japanese. There was not Americans were out on an MFT or something like that. Did they ever explain like why? And because uh, why Americans out on MFT and why not running the Jacob Houses? Yeah, because the language. So they had um, mostly sisters that or, or sisters that went to MFT and it wasn't, but not Americans. The Europeans or Japanese that may have been on MFT for a while, but the different providence. Americans were given a different providence than the Japanese and the Europeans in terms of stuff like that. Did you ever wonder about like language development for the kids in these Jacob homes, or like as secure attachments or anything? Well, you know, most of the time I was so busy on MFT, I didn't get a chance to focus on that. But when when I did, I, I did think about stuff like that when I was taking care of. Um, was he talking or cooing or? Oh yeah, he was, too, he was almost he was 15 months old when he had the febrile seizure. Yeah, he was talking by 11 months old. I mean, he was. 
I mean, I was focused on had to give up his mother. It's a big difference. Yeah, yeah. they suffered. Yeah. They suffered. You noticed, like, developmental delays? Well, okay. To a degree, not terribly high degree, but to a degree. I mean, Michael's oldest daughter, she didn't live in Jacob House, but she would, when they had to come to New York or something like that, she would stay there on daycare kind of thing. You know, when she was 15 months old or 18 months old. But she didn't, um, I remember one time they came, um, when her sister was born, and, they, and they, they had to come to New York for, they didn't really live in New York, but they were here for a few weeks. They were in New York for a few weeks, not here. Um, uh, they had, she lived in Jacob House. They, had, they were doing stuff, and she kept the baby with her. Uh, but um, they used the opportunity to have some babysitting yeah. at Jacob House. And because um, their situation, was, it would have been hard for them to have a toddler and a, an infant. The infant was easy was on her breast most of the time kind of thing. Um, oh, gosh, she's a, one of the cute. Aside from, I'm prejudiced. Aside from your kids, she was the most beautiful baby. <laughs> she was so cute. Was, was there a Jacob House uh, nursery in the New Yorker as well? No. Not Jake, it wasn't called Jacob House, but they'd have daycare in the nurse in, in the New Yorker. Yeah, were, were kids living there too? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like um, in the New Yorker in the old days, like that, people lived in the New Yorker. So if their parents had to work, there would be a place for the kids to be. Oh, I heard one of the kids fell down the elevator shaft. None of the kids fell down. The elevator not shaft. not that you heard of. No. Okay. I met a guy. A brother did. And that, you know, that happened. That happened the day I went to East Garden. That her brother fell down the elevator shaft. Why were you in East Garden for the that event I told you about? After once you sold four hundred dollars. Yeah, yeah. He fell down the elevator shaft. Are you sure he fell? No, he could have. He could have jumped. Or been pushed. No, no. Not pushed. He could have jumped. I mean, because that's a high intense. That was a high intense like energy. Um, there were suicides, but there was never murders. In the New Yorker. I mean, by church members, there was no murders. When were the suicides? Well, that it was a questionable. Either he fell or he jumped. Nobody knows. Nobody knows because nobody was there with him. Nobody knows how his effect was before. No, that was why the New Yorker had those events. People were paying paying enough attention to each other, um, and. Uh, there were there were a few suicides, I can't remember them now. All of them. I mean, because it was really intense. I mean, you guys are being labor trafficked, is what I call it. And then you got a book thrown at your face, and you got married against your will, kind of. Yeah, but never was suicidal. Well, not you, but I could see. That. Some people were, yeah, I sure. I could see that. I mean, you didn't even have a choice where you were going. You were... Some people got suicidal. I mean, I was never suicidal ever in my life. Good. I was a rabbit. Because rabbits are into self-preservation. <laughs> no, seriously. That's one of their big things. So suicide was never on my agenda. Thank God. But um, even at the worst times, it's never been. A, but uh, but uh, yeah, I, I could see that kind of stuff. Pressure, that pressure. Sending kids in that direction. 
of being born near the rabbit. I bet there's not many rabbits that do that. <laughs> I did want to, because um, we recorded that last story where you said you got dropped off in one town and walked to the next. Walked, no, hitchhiked to the next. On the MFT. Yeah, it was in Wyoming. And I went from, like, started, like, started, like, in the southern part of Wyoming to the northern part of Wyoming. And there'd be, like, little bitty towns, maybe 200, 500 people in them, you know, kind of thing. And he picked me up two days later or whatever. And I would had to get from this destination to that destination. So on MFT, your captain dropped you off in the middle Tony of... Tony Suzero. <laughs> dropped you off in the middle of Wyoming. In the, yeah, in Wyoming. In Wyoming. And was like, make some money, I'll see you in two days? Yeah. Or did he even tell you when he was going to pick you up? No, it was in two days. We had a, in two we days? Had a, yeah, we had a rendezvous point. So you said, okay, I'll see you in, da, 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 in two days? Yeah. But didn't you, like, not get picked up and you fell asleep on the train tracks or something? Yeah, I fell asleep on the train track. Because you were so exhausted you couldn't get a ride? No, I just didn't. It was one, oh, the nighttime. I didn't want to spend money on a place to stay, so I just went to what looked like a very safe place. There was nobody around. It slept on the train tracks? Yeah. Were you scared of a train? No. <laughs> I was stupid. I wasn't thinking like that. It was a, a bad... I wasn't on an active train track. Oh, okay. I was on an a- abandoned train track. Okay, well, that's what you thought. Yeah, an abandoned train track. Um, were there other experiences like that where you would get dropped off for days at a time? Mostly Tony. <laughs> he, he would do that. That was his norm. And he would do that to, to other women. Yeah, he'd do that to other sisters, too. Mostly me, though. He had this... When I was on the MFT with him, he had... I was probably the one he felt he could treat that way the most just drop them off yeah but i i guess he he felt i don't know what he really felt but i was the one that got the brunt of all that kind of but stuff people were getting raped you got kidnapped uh sisters were getting murdered i know uh that and this happened after that stuff too and 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 christian christian cost got murdered in new york yeah and he still did this to you yeah and um but the town. But you gotta also know the area and the towns. I mean, Wyoming's really sketchy. Yeah, but now it's different from 1970s. And um, it was. I never met one person that looked at me sideways. That's so bizarre. When little old ladies were inviting me in for coffee or tea or something and giving me forty dollars, and you know, it was that kind of an experience. Yeah. So it wasn't a negative experience. But like nowadays, what would you say? I would not, I've told you already, I don't think they should have MFT kind of STF or whatever. Right. Because it's a whole different world now out there. And I don't care if you're with a partner. Yeah. And it's just, it's just exploitive. I mean, what, what do they need money for? They're well, I don't even think, not even going there with that. Yeah. I just don't think that's the best way to teach a spiritual, uh, uh, right. spiritual, um, Life of Journey. Faith. Right. So how does fundraising correlate to a life of faith at all? Well, it helped build my faith, big time. It, it gave you rejection therapy. So you got rejected constantly, or you were guided and then told in a spirit world, treating you, you know, because you're on the right path. But then you'd go back to your group and felt this huge inclusive. When I felt most in tune with faith and God and whatever, I did the best fundraising. 
So it became obvious after a while, well, if you keep your spirits high and you know focus on God, you're going to do well. And that's what happened. So there was this like cause and effect type. There was this false correlation between, you know. Well, you could say it's false, but I mean, even let's let's just take away MFT. Even in my life, when I'm feeling good, things good happen. Well, I mean, yeah, that's how things work. Yeah. But it was so convoluted to get you to walk from. Well, that was his crazy team captain approach. You know, I, I would never, even then have done that. But all these team captains were not having your safety in mind. Oh no, of course not. Not at all. But I wasn't thinking safety then. It wasn't on the agenda. I mean, it wasn't in the... Because I know my dad, he was robbed at gunpoint and smacked in the head with the gun and stabbed on SCF. Yeah, I don't know how much of that is true? No, I, I believe it, but he, he tends to exaggerate things sometimes. Oh, well, so I never... He's got the stab marks. I've seen them. Okay. Well, I know he, he's got... Okay. I, I get you. He does embellish. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. But, uh, no, but he had went through some tough experiences. Yeah. He did. He did. I mean, it just wasn't safe. Not no. safe. But, um... I didn't, uh, I didn't think of it like that, you know, I, I didn't... We're in danger. Yeah, I didn't this think of it like never, that. Never crossed your mind? Just that one time in the car with that guy. People are dying, people are getting kidnapped. No, I never, people, even when it's all that happening, I never thought like that. Suicide? Just when I was in Sorry. those few minutes with that guy in that car, and I got a bad vibe, and I got the heck out of there as fast as possible. Yeah. You know, they, t you watch these, like, you know, forensic files, and all these kind of shows now, which I like to watch sometimes um, and the main thing they tell you is never get in the car if you don't get in the car you're, you're okay so um, that's why I thought it, uh, that's not why I thought at that moment it was instinctively get out of the car how did he get you in the car how did you even meet this guy I was hitchhiking oh <laughs> from where from from I can't even remember the town, but uh, from one part of the town to trying to meet my team leader. You got into some stranger's car and then got... I did a lot of hitchhiking. In those days, hitchhiking was a lot different than now. Oh, and then what happened? How did he creep you out? Well, he creeped me out because he was going a different way than I told him, uh. and he started driving fast. He started to try to rev up when I told him, please stop. And he, and he was going up, he was trying to rev fast, and when even at... I go, you know, it's going to get faster and faster, so I just bailed. opened the door and bailed out. Wow. Do you think he was, like, a deprogrammer? No, he I think was he was a guy that was going to either rape me or do something even yeah, worse. Yeah, just a bad guy. Yeah. Yeah, okay. makes sense. Wow. Did you tell anybody about that? I might have told the team about it. And I can't remember. Was there any, like, safety protocols? No, no. Nobody... Thought about stuff like that. Yeah, don't do that anymore, kind of thing. But uh, maybe I don't even remember if I got that advice. Oh, it was evil, evil spirits attracting. Uh, maybe, who knows? And we'll wrap it up. We've been talking for a long time. What's the best fundraising story you can remember? Uh, let's see. Um, just the most vivid one. 
Yeah. Um, well, it always centers around making a you know a fair amount of money. I mean, I just for me it was going to the bars. <laughs> I don't know why. I always felt safe in the bars. I didn't feel. Um, I didn't really, you know, have a lot of give and take on the level of, oh, I want to go and drink and stuff like that. But, um, but the people were so much more welcoming and uh, maybe they're, you know, drinking a lot and that's what made them that way. I didn't think about that like that. Um, it's just all my, I mean, I, the one with the guy just kept giving me money and he forgot that he gave me money. Um, <laughs> uh, that was okay. But it was just, um, you know, just a well, you know, come on in, and you know, we'll treat you right kind of feeling, and I loved that. I loved that about the bars. I I went into a bar once, and there was some drunk, off their ass people, and I'd asked for money, and one guy grabbed a handful of cash and started throwing the dollars in the air. For me to get, I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> he, he treated me like a stripper. I was like, oh my god. I'm this prude 18 year old virgin church youth ministry see, volunteer. See, I, I wasn't that great liking the, you to go to STM. No. I, I, I never really wanted but, that for you. But remember, I had a crush and I was trying to get matched. Yeah. And they said I wasn't good enough. And he had just gone to the second year of SCF and was like, and so I felt like, okay, if I want to get matched to this guy, yeah, and I have to go to and then, and then And then and then the irony of it was, two days before you were actually going to get blessed, his mother calls oh, me yeah. and wants to have her son blessed oh, to you. Oh, my God. Yeah, see, it worked. So I, went to, I went to OLT so I could fit in and, and be worthy of... Well, you people. almost got blessed to him. I think I didn't. <laughs> no, I know. I know. You would have had her as you... Oh, God. But, yeah, no, I was... <laughs> I, I mean, that's why I went, because we were so rejected, so obviously, so openly. Like, I had to prove myself as a... And I bet half of those people are terrible marriages and stuff. I mean, I think there was a percentage. It was like 1 in 50 of the marriages are happy. 1 in 50. I think that came like straight from one of the true family or something. Uh, somebody married into the family. They they got the statistics. It's like one in fifty. No, I, I, a lot of sad. I mean, some people. She made it work. I remember this one. Um, back in the day, they were a seven 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 couple, and um, from Japan, and. Uh, we stayed at their center. I mean, they had a church center, and they, we stayed at their house for a little bit, and on an MFT, you know, going through the town kind of thing. And I saw them, and they were so in love. I mean, it was so obvious. They were in their forties at that point, 50, almost fifty, maybe fifties. I don't know. And they were so connected. I'm like, wow, maybe it can work. You know. I mean, that's that was the only time. Out of all the marriages you saw in the church, yeah. just once. I mean, I see Michael and Sunja, they have a they're successful very, marriage. But, dear. you know, they still have their struggles. They have a partnership that yeah. works. I yeah, mean, they made it work. Yeah. But this couple, there was love there. Mm-hmm. And that was the only time I saw that. What do you, what do you think? Because, okay, when I first married them, I was actually scared that you and Dad wouldn't approve. 
because it wasn't. No, before you got married, we approved. Well, I had this fear that if it's not blessed, I was told all my life, you know, if you're not we were blessed, so, then the you're not. The jerk that you were. Oh, no, 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 no. That was way over. And you're not, your kids aren't third gen. And you're no, 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 no. No, first off, you know, if you want to look at it from the church viewpoint, okay, for a minute, just look at it. That once you've reached, you, you, you are second gen, right? Mm-hmm. And you're in the church. Then anybody that you're going to be, you know, your husband, whether he's in the church or not, his family, they're all a part of it. And, and they're, 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 his family, meaning his, you know, the cousins and, you know, his sister and all of them are a part of the church now. Do you realize that? So That's like, the way, they're part of, so in the next life, they're all going to benefit from it. It's like a spiritual STD. Um, <laughs> if you want to look at it, that way. But they're all, I mean, from a good viewpoint, oh, not, they're all not a sexual, part of... it's a spiritual yeah. transmitted disease. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So um, they're all going to benefit. So that's the way you look at it. It's that's the way this, I look at it. The Because the way church members look at it is you have to be here, you have to do this regime, you have to get the blessing. Well, I, thought, I believe that at yeah. first, too, but I've come to realize that's not the case, that everybody is going to benefit. And that means his whole family is now going to benefit. Do you realize that? It's his, his whole family. I mean, I'm not going to, I mean, they're lucky to have me, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, they're all going to benefit. Your sons are no different oh, from, they, from third generation, whatever, blessed children. They're no different. Yeah. They're so, so um, no, it doesn't. Whatever, however, it's not going to change. So you don't feel like you have to uphold these standards of Jesus no. and tithe and, no, no. and have you the seen great ancestors? You well, have. liberating ancestors, I, your dad doesn't like that. But I, I have, because he, he, he doesn't even believe anymore, really. He, he believes in reincarnation and stuff like that, which I can never believe in. So, because you are you. You can always be you, you know. And... Um, so um, I feel like if it can help them get to a higher place, I don't mind that so much. Now, he looks at it as selling indulgences like they did in the Catholic Church in the old days, but... I agree with that. What? Selling indulgences? Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, I don't know it has to cost a lot of money, but I don't have a problem with it. Let's put it that way. But you have a very loose relationship with money anyway. Yeah. So and maybe that doesn't get under your skin as... You know. I have a very loose relationship with money. Yeah. What I would have an easier time putting thousands of dollars into doing that for for so that all of our generations going back whatever or, or for the fourth palace or for buying a mansion or something like that. Yeah. I mean, now the true family can buy a mansion. <laughs> like, I don't see. So what? If that's what they're using it on. You know, that's their karma. That's their thing they're going to have to work out. Not mine. Yeah, no, it is going to... If I go into it with a, with a clean, good spirit, then no matter how it's misused, it's not my problem. Yeah, it doesn't... Yeah. I mean, it's a good way to look at it. It's not on you. you and um, so, you know, that, that's their karma. i got enough karma problems to deal with. That's their karma. That's their thing. I like it. I I I, I love how far you've come. <laughs> you 
we could not have had this conversation 12 years ago. Yeah, no. I think the best thing that happened to you was meeting. Yeah, he's great. <laughs> and the and his best thing that happened to him was meeting you. Yeah. And I, and his aunt told me that. Yeah. She told me that. Yeah, we needed each other. So, um, so you know, things worked out. Yeah. We had to go through a lot of kissing the frogs kind of thing. <laughs> but um, it worked out. I'm still here. I don't think I would be alive if you didn't adopt me. <laughs> I I like that you say that, but I don't know. You have a strong uh, spirit. It was I was in a bad of acid by myself. I do have a strong spirit, but it was not easy. Yeah. Where we were. Well, it didn't help as much as I should have, though. Yeah, we figured it out. And I, I was very much raised by the system. But I also had you as an aunt figure. Well, I should have been more of an aunt figure unless I was thinking I had to be a mother figure. I don't know. I think the mother thing is fine because I, I needed a mom. And I, I think leaving that space was more painful to think, you know, for that crazy woman. It was painful. When I realized, okay, that's never going to happen, just sew that wound up and don't hold space unconditionally for someone who doesn't have time for you. It was finally closure that I, you know, because a child always wants to love their parents yeah. unconditionally. That's the, probably the most unconditional love that will ever exist is a child's longing for their abusive parent. Yeah. Now, you could, you could kill me and I'd still love you. That's the love of a child. Yeah. It's just the way it is. Mm -hmm. And leaving that space open was so painful. And then finally saying, you know what, enough's enough. I'm worth more. And closing that, that and filling that seat with you. But you did it yourself. So. I did, I did have to do it myself. But finally, I think when started calling you on me, finally, that actually... Really? That kind of... I was like, okay, so she's not Eileen, she's not Mom, she's Ami, Ami. and that's her place. <laughs> and that was... I know, I love Ami. Yeah, that's beautiful. He's so, he's so smart. He really is. He's, he's so really smart. special. Yeah, he's a special boy. <sighs> Yeah, but that, yeah, we'll have to get him in a couple minutes. But yeah, is there anything you want to say to anybody listening in the future? Just, you know, don't give up. Keep keep going. No matter what journey you're on, it'll all work out. And don't feel bad about having negative feelings. Just don't have them about yourself. <laughs> Thank you, Ami. <laughs> and that wraps up story time with Ami. Thank you for listening to part three. I did have some questions come in and I think this interview helped answer some of them. So let me just read off some of the questions I got. One of them was, what are some ways we can help in the deconstruction of the Unification Church? And as I started this podcast, I'm just going to echo it again. I think some of the ways that we can help in the deconstruction of the Unification Church is telling the real stories of the Unification Church. And giving ourselves a platform to talk about cults and really understand their coercive control and the tactics they use to manipulate people. I think it's really important to share your story if you feel safe to. 
Um, another question somebody had for Ami was, what do you believe now? And I, I do believe the last part of this interview really answered that question on how she balances her belief system in the Unification Church and her love for my family and um, her reality now. It's it's pretty evident that she's still holding on to some of the belief systems in the Unification Church, but she's balanced it out in the best way that she could. So that kind of answers that. And um, yeah, those are just some of the questions that I remember getting about this interview. If you have any more, you can write them into uh, Blessed Child Podcast on Instagram, or like I said earlier, you can do a voice memo to the show. If you want to be on the show, you can send a voicemail, a voice memo, and state that you'd like this to be in the episode. Um, and yeah, thank y'all for listening. I think we're doing a good job just telling our stories. We've come a long way, and I look forward to talking with y'all again soon. So in the meantime, take care of your mental health, and we will talk again soon.